He was an inch, perhaps two, under six feet, powerfully built, and he advanced straight at you with a slight stoop of the shoulders, head forward, and a fixed from-under stare, which made you think of a charging bull. His voice was deep, loud, and his manner displayed a kind of dogged self-assertion which had nothing aggressive in it. It seemed a necessity, and it was directed apparently as much at himself as at anybody else. He was spotlessly neat, apparelled in immaculate white from shoe to hat, and in the various eastern ports where he got his living as ship chandler's water clerk, he was very popular. A water clerk need not pass an examination in anything under the sun, but he must have ability in the abstract and demonstrate it practically. To the captains, he is faithful like a friend and attentive like a son, with the patience of Job, the unselfish devotion of a woman, and the jollity of a boon companion. Later on, the bill is sent in. It is a beautiful, humane occupation. Therefore, good water clerks are scarce. Jim had always good wages and as much humouring as would have bought the fidelity of a fiend. Nevertheless, with black ingratitude, he would throw up the job suddenly and depart. To the white men in the waterside business and to the captains of ships, he was just Jim, nothing more. He had, of course, another name, but he was anxious that it should not be pronounced. His incognito, which had as many holes as a sieve, was not meant to hide a personality, but a fact. When the fact broke through the incognito, he would leave suddenly the seaport where he happened to be at the time and go to another, generally farther east. He kept to seaports because he was a seaman in exile from the sea and had ability in the abstract, which is good for no other work but that of a water clerk. He retreated towards the rising sun, and the fact followed him casually, but inevitably. Thus, in the course of years, he was known successively in Bombay, in Calcutta, in Rangoon, in Penang, in Batavia, and in each of these halting places was just Jim, the water clerk. Afterwards, when his keen perception of the intolerable drove him away from seaports and white men, even into the virgin forest, the malaise of the jungle village where he had elected to conceal his deplorable faculty added a word to the monosyllable of his incognito. They called him Tuan Jim, as one might say, Lord Jim. Originally he came from a parsonage. Jim was one of five sons, and when, after a course of light holiday literature, his vocation for the sea had declared itself, he was sent at once to a training ship for officers of the mercantile marine. He learned there a little trigonometry and how to cross to gallant yards. He was generally liked. He had the third place in navigation and pulled stroke in the first cutter. Having a steady head with an excellent physique, he was very smart aloft. His station was in the foretop, and often from there he looked down with the contempt of a man destined to shine in the midst of dangers at the peaceful multitude of roofs cut in two by the brown tide of the stream. He could see the big ships departing, the broad-beamed ferries constantly on the move, the little boats floating far below his feet with the hazy splendour of the sea in the distance and the hope of a stirring life in the world of adventure.
On the lower deck he would forget himself, and beforehand live in his mind the sea life of light literature. He saw himself saving people from sinking ships, cutting away masts in a hurricane, swimming through a surf with a line, or as a lonely castaway, barefooted and half-naked, walking on uncovered reefs in search of shellfish to stave off starvation. He confronted savages on tropical shores, quelled mutinies in the high seas, and in a small boat upon the ocean kept up the hearts of despairing men, always an example of devotion to duty and as unflinching as a hero in a book. Something's up! Come along! He leapt to his feet. The boys were streaming up the ladders. Above could be heard a great scurrying about and shouting, and when he got through the hatchway he stood still as if confounded. It was the dusk of a winter's day.